Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The following is a KMOX Sports Special. Welcome to the St. Louis City Soccer Report on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Back in our downtown studios, Nate Gatter with you. Alongside me is Jennifer Cease for the second hour of our St. Louis City Soccer Report on this Sunday afternoon. We're with you until 5 o'clock. And we are joined now by St. Louis City defender Lucas Bartlett. Lucas, thanks so much for making some time for us. Lucas, can you hear me? Hey, thank you. Yeah, sorry. Thanks no, no, you're all good. You. We got you now. Um, uh, so obviously things have been a whirlwind for you a little bit because for people who don't know, you were in town initially as a trialist, meaning you were training with the team without having a guaranteed contract. Uh, that was up until 11 days ago. So two Wednesdays ago, you signed your contract, or at least it was publicized that you had signed your contract. You made your city debut only three days later in Portland. And then last night you made your first start. What have the last two, three, four weeks been like for you? Yeah, uh, a whirlwind is is really well put, um, but uh, I wouldn't have it any other way right now. It's been amazing, and um, kind of it's all happening so fast, you know. Um, you know, the Lutz and, and Coach uh, Bradley have been amazing in, in supporting me and, you know, encouraged me that this is um, the moment that I've, you know, been ready for and, and waiting for. So, you know, I can't thank them enough and, and the rest of the staff. It's been, you know, uh, a crazy couple, you know, weeks, but, you know, I wouldn't ask it any other way. Well, uh, Lucas, I was at the cold, cold game along with you uh, last night, although probably not staying hopefully as warm as you were. Um, Dale Schilly made a point in the pregame show about San Jose's attackers, right? And so we've got Tim Parker having to step out, you stepping in. And when I watched the run of play, I didn't see a whole lot of dips. I didn't see San Jose. They had a few moments, but they certainly weren't able to break down defense like we were. they were hoping to. Yeah, they have a, I mean, one of the strongest attacks in the league for sure. Espinoza's and their DP um, of overseas with the national team and Cade Cowell is a young, you know, young prodigy for them. Um, And so, yeah, we were, you know, we knew that going into that they were going to be a high powered attack and that, you know, we needed to be ready for it, prepared. And, um, you know, I didn't really know I was starting until, you know, 30 minutes before I arrived um, before the game, Tim had, um, coming a little bit early to the facility and uh, tested out his groin um, and then texted me, hey, I can't make it. It's your time. So um, it was kind of a crazy, but I had prepared like I was, you know, going to the game, going to play every minute. So, um, yeah, I mean, the back line helped me immensely, and especially with Roman behind us. It was, you know, we, I thought we did a pretty good job. Sounds like you got a little bit of the what uh, Coach Carnell said after the game, that next man in mentality. Yeah, definitely. That's, um, I guess, across the whole roster. There's a lot of guys like that. So, 
There's a big win, 3-0, uh, with three starters out, including, as you mentioned, Vice Captain Tim Parker. And uh, it's interesting, too, that you would be filling in for him, considering that you followed him as well at St. John's, uh, where you were both uh, standouts for the Red Storm. What's it like to be now ending up on the same team I, with another guy who came comes from the same school? Has he, uh, maybe because you have that in common, tried to help in mentoring you a little bit and, and bringing you along and, and helping you get prepared to step into his shoes last night? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, maybe not many people know yet, but Tim and I are super close. Um, you know, we hang out probably every single day. I'm actually out the, we're at the lunch this afternoon together right now. So, um, you know, we were, I just went and looking for a house right now as well. So he was just with me house shopping with my realtor. So it's kind of a crazy story that, you know, we're super close and it says so much about his character to be, you know, such a great leader on and off the field. You know, he spends a bunch of time with all the guys and, um, you know, takes care of us like, you know, one of his own. So, um, you know, Tim's a great guy and, you know, he's been a, a massive mentor for me. Uh, both on and off the field. That's fantastic. Jake Nowinski talked earlier this week about focusing on the next progression. And, I, you know, it brought to mind, right, the, the looming fourth win, right? Could we or could we not get that in a row? So when it comes to next progression, we certainly got a lot of them last night. We got the fourth win. We got the clean sheet. We didn't come from behind. Um, you know, nobody can say we got any own goals or gimmies. Uh, so what is the next progression? What is the next thing on the list besides, you know, going into Salt Lake? Oh, I think, um, yeah, that's, I mean, great point. Jake is right there. And I think that was the main staple we wanted to really get at was, you know, we don't want to come from behind, um, you know, this weekend that we want to keep a clean sheet. And we did both of those and we kept a really high powered off, you know, offense um, at bay for most of the game. Um, and those were two great boxes that we wanted to check. And, you know, this weekend is another tough game. I mean, we also like battles. Uh, it's a really tough team in the league and they're always, you know, in the playoff push every year. So, um, another good challenge for us to go into a team that, you know, is going to fight for sure at home. And, um, you know, I think just trying to keep a clean sheet on the road is always a, a, a massive um, advantage. If you can keep a clean sheet, you, you know, guarantee yourself a, at least a point. So. St. Louis City center back Lucas Bartlett joining us to uh, kick off the second hour here on the St. Louis City Soccer Report. And, and Lucas, just one more before we let you go. I think everybody's starting to get to know you guys a lot better. Certainly people got to know Tim when he scored the first goal and had the big celebration announcing the, the baby and everything. Um, but before the season started, Roman Berkey was really the big name everybody was talking about, right? He was the big name European guy with big experience at a massive club who was coming now to St. Louis. How has that experience he has, not only in the Bundesliga, but in the Champions League, playing for a club the, the size of Borussia Dortmund, how has that helped you guys as a back line? What do you feel that he brings that maybe a, a younger MLS goalkeeper wouldn't have? Oh, man. Um, just crazy experience and, and really high-level moments, right? I think that would be the first thing I'd say. You know, that guy's played in the highest levels of Champions League games um, against the best players in the world. You know, Messi, Ronaldo, um, you know, you name it. So, you know, every scenario that we could ever say is like our biggest moment, you know, he's gone through it, you know, probably 10 times higher than we have. Um, and he's got a super calming presence, you know, any type of pressure for him doesn't really seem like it phases him. Um, and he's kind of stepped up to every challenge. And, and I was really happy for him to get the clean sheet because I think it's something he's been fighting for and really wanted in, in the team. So, um, you know, he's a great guy and uh, he's helped, you know, obviously me immensely and, and you know, especially last night. Well, Lucas, congratulations on the win, the clean sheet, your first start. Good luck with the house shopping. We're so thrilled to have you here in St. Louis and uh, hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoy having you. Thank you so much. St. Louis City center back Lucas Bartlett.
joining us here on the St. Louis City Soccer Report. Stay tuned. We'll have Megan Burke coming up next. She's going to tell us a lot about uh, her experience playing growing up here in St. Louis and what she does now as the executive director of the NWSL Players Association. You won't want to miss that. Stay with us. The St. Louis City Soccer Report continues next on KMOX. Now, back to the St. Louis City Soccer Report on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome back. We're in hour two of the St. Louis City Soccer Report. I'm Jen Cease with Nate Gatter, and we have a great guest on the line. I'm so excited to talk to Megan Burke. Um, there's so many bullets, Megan, executive director of the NWSL Players Association, lawyer, former player. Let me just spend a couple moments here. Melville High School, goalkeeper, St. Louis University. Am I right that you had a nickname called the Birkinator? Oh, no, you found that. I did. Yes. <laughs> I did. Every goalkeeper needs a, needs a, a catch name like that because I don't want to go up against you. <laughs> so welcome, Megan. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me on. It's so great to be with you. And if you don't mind indulging me, I'd love to get a, give a shout out to my mom and dad and Nana and my son, Calvin, who are listening into the show. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. Great to have you on with them as St. Louis homegrown player who has done so many things, but also, you know, really has taken leadership of the NWSL Players Union. Why did you? What, what took your route there? to the NWSL because you've kind of been around. You've been worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole. Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink... What you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. WSA, you've been in a lot of the leagues. You've You've seen it all. What led you to take this path? Yeah, well, I appreciate the question. You know, in some ways, it feels like I didn't have a choice. I feel like so many of my life experiences just kind of led me to where I am. Um, you know, I was drafted out of St. Louis U to play for the Carolina Courage and the WSA. And I'll never forget, you know, you sort of, you get drafted and it's the pinnacle of a dream and you, you think your career is going to look one way. And um, within a few days of preseason starting, we were all called into a, a conference call with John Langle on the phone and my heroes, you know, Carla Overbeck, Meehan, Julie Foudy, they're on the call and they basically said, if you guys don't take a 25% pay cut by five o'clock today, don't bother coming to work tomorrow. There's no league. And it was just a very jarring reality, you know, to go from my experience at St. Louis U into that kind of experience. Um, And then over the years, I chased the soccer in W League, WPSL. I played in the English Premier League and finally landed in in the WPS, where I helped organize the Players Union. And then that league went under. Um, And quite frankly, when I launched my law practice in North Carolina more than a decade ago, I kind of thought that was it. You know, I'm just going to focus on practicing law and, and doing my thing. And so when the players organized and came calling, you know, I couldn't resist. And and it just sort of over time, I think, became very clear that I felt like I was really meant for this role. 
You know, Megan, uh, I was talking to Jen during the break just before we went on and talking about something that you sort of alluded to there, how many different teams and leagues you played for over the course of a, mm-hmm. a relatively short period of time because of mm-hmm. the nature of where women's soccer was in the United States at that time. On the one hand, you were fortunate not to have come out of college maybe 10 or 20 years earlier when the professional opportunities would have been hugely limited, if not non-existent. On the other right. hand, what an unstable environment to walk into. What was that like, especially at such a young age, to be on the one hand, if not at the pinnacle of your profession, very, very close to it, and yet on the other hand, uncertain of your employment, sometimes on a week-to-week basis? Yeah, that's right. I mean, this is what it meant to pursue a dream and to, and to chase the dream, as I call it, as a professional soccer player at that time. And it's amazing to see how far we've come since my playing days. But uh, you're exactly right. My generation is the, both the beneficiary of what you know the generations before us did to bring about Title IX and those opportunities. But we missed out on a lot of the things that you're seeing in NWSL now. Um, and so there's a, there's a whole generation of players like myself and I, it's funny because it's a, a tight-knit community, and at one point I was on the tryout circuit and kind of the same group of people just going from town to town. So you also develop these amazing friendships and relationships. Um, you know, I lived out of a duffel bag um, for a while. I think I had 29 addresses in 11 years uh, when I submitted my bar application, which was some kind of record. Um, so, it was, you know, a lot of lived experience that I think suits me well in the role that I'm in now, but you know, you can't help but wonder what it would have been like to have that opportunity to play at the level that players are getting to play at now. Yeah, that takes me perfectly into just a, a quick follow-up on that because obviously, you know, the NWSL still has had some of its challenges, and we'll talk about that. The Players Union has been such a huge part of pushing the league forward, especially in recent years as it's as it's come into existence and stabilized. How crazy is it for you now, considering your playing perspective, to see a women's league like the NWSL existing in this country with even despite its challenges, such economic stability that the players can even make a decent living and certainly not have to worry about whether their job's going to be there on Monday morning. Well, yeah, it's awesome, right? I mean, it's, it's really, it's both and actually. And I, I do this, um, I, I just finished this year's round of preseason meetings and we negotiated our first contract, the collective bargaining agreement in 2021, ratified in early 2022 and I asked folks this trivia question, and it's, it's interesting how many people get it wrong. So the, I told you about the conference call in the WSA where they said, take a pay cut or you don't have a job. Um, my, they, the, the veterans in that league fought for a minimum salary to make sure nobody fell below a certain threshold. Now, I will tell you, in 2021, we, when we negotiated our contract, the minimum salary was $22,000. Our minimum salary in 2003 was $25,000. So what's happened over time, and I think that gets lost, is that every time a league or a team folded, we lost some institutional memory. So our growth is extraordinary, but we lost, you know, 15, 20 years of progress um, during that period of time. And it's just gratifying to now finally see us close that gap, catch up, and now I think we're surpassing where we'd been before. And I remember that, Megan. I actually did attend a couple of WUSA games, and I remember at a particular facility, it's, the name escapes me right now, but you know, we have two teams with pros and, and U.S. national team players playing, and the locker rooms weren't made open for them. They were changing in the hallways. Um, after the game, you know, their kids are running up to them who are following the bus uh, in, you know, with their husbands or family members driving the kids. So, like, so much has happened, but yet we still have so far to go. You know, you retweeted on March 14th, Equal Pay Day. 
um, with the U.S. Women's mm-hmm. National Team celebrating the signing of that groundbreaking collective bargaining agreement. Um, so it just brings it home, I think, to myself, uh, to people like you, that there is still stuff that's there's great stuff happening currently for the younger ones, but still so far yet to go. That's exactly right. I think you saw that FIFA is going to increase the prize money for the 2023 World Cup, and yet there's still an enormous difference. So I think what U.S. soccer and the U.S. Women's National Team Players Association just accomplished in the equal pay settlement and CBA is extraordinary. And I think it's truly standard setting. And it's what we're now going to start to see other federations strive to mirror. You look at what's happening in Canada as well. And I think, you know, the, the success of domestic professional soccer is the absolute critical piece to making that happen, which is one of the many reasons I'm thrilled to get to work in NWSL. So speaking to that, do you think we're going to get a women's team? I mean, we've got, we've got, we have <laughs> Man, got the park. Come on, let's go. We've got the facility. It's amazing. I, I flew back this weekend truly just to go to a St. Louis City game and bring my oldest son, who's eight, with his grandparents. And what an awesome we had such a great time even though we froze um it was <laughs> you were great. there last night and you were there last we night we were there yeah. last night i was there man and i told my son you know this is how you become a lifelong fan you have to suffer a little bit for your team or you're not a real fan and so he was there for it he was into it um listen i, I think st louis i i believe this in my soul that we're a soccer city we're not a youth soccer city we're not a men's soccer city we're a soccer city and you know st louis needs an nwsl team uh we just do I hope to see it happen. Well, if uh, it sounds like maybe the players will be wondering, uh, you know, now the NWSLPA is saying, well, if St. Louis gets a team, we got to make sure that Megan's not favoring the, the St. Louis NWSL <laughs> team too much because the loyalty I'm runs deep. Neutral. <laughs> I'm officially neutral. That's right. But I was born and raised here and go generations back, so I can't help have a little bit of soft spot in my heart for St. Louis. So, yeah, um, not anytime soon, but I hope at some point it's in the running for an expansion team. I recognize that there are going to be limitations on what you can share with us, both because of confidentiality and because of the fact that, you know, you can only go so in depth in a short period of time. Can you take us through from your standpoint what it's like to negotiate something, the magnitude of a CBA, especially with a league that you know is going to whether, you know, they would say out of necessity when you might say not fight you over a lot of stuff that you feel they shouldn't fight you on. What's that process like? <laughs> I certainly don't. I don't think I could do it justice in a few sentences, but I'll say it's one of the most rewarding experiences in my life, both one of the most frustrating, the most challenging, and most rewarding. Um, the players I represent are just extraordinary people to a person. They're funny. They're smart. We actually, if you can believe it, had an awesome time, despite everything you've read and how hard it was negotiating that CBA because of the relationships and bonds that were forged. Um, I think in the moment, even, we recognized that we were doing something really historic. Um, And now, you know, I'm just finally reading reading Marvin Miller's autobiography about what it was like to lead the MLB Players Association in the 60s and onward. And it's crazy to think that in 2021, 22, 23, we're living that history now. That's our 1966, 67, 68. Um, And so I really do think that we we did something historic and pushed the game forward, which was our goal. And uh, our next aspiration is that the next generation, the next contract, stands on our shoulders and continues to push the standard. Well, as a uh, female myself, a player, I have four kids, two of whom are daughters. Um, I do get a tiny bit choked up when I 
think of the opportunities that they're not going to have to fight for, right? That, that, that mm-hmm. some of those things that they have, they should have always had the right to um, are being still laid the groundwork. Um, and I hope we never forget, right? I hope we never lose sight. We're able to move on and never lose sight of the fact of where it came from. And so from the bottom of my heart, I thank people like yourself and everybody that you work with on, on keeping to forging the path um, for that and appreciate all the work that you do. Well, thank you for that. And, and people like yourself are part of it. So we're all in it together. Thank you for the for the support and kind words. I appreciate it. And before we go on a lighter note, I got a request. It came in from text uh, because of the city who says, where'd you go to high school? I did ask, get an ask of where did Megan play youth ball? Oh, that's a fun one. JB Marine all the way. Oh, you were uh, JB girl. I was JB. Hardcore. Oh, the like, green and white. Literally. Yes. No other club. That was the only club I played for growing up. <laughs> oh, so. were you so- solely JB Marine? That's awesome. Solely. That's it. I started in 1988 uh, for JB Marine. And we played, I think we played 11 v 11 with our little legs in 1988. Oh, yeah, we did. All the way through. Yeah, we oh, did. yeah. You know it. That's uh-huh. right. All the way through college. Um, our uniting team got back together again and even played then. So. Uh, yeah, Molly Schmelsley and that whole crew, Jamie Parker, uh, oh that generation, like that. Yeah, they were. That was my team. Right. Um, all we've grown got, up. And we've got. It's awesome because last hour we had Kevin Byrne on, who you know does Spencer and, and it was with Colping, right? Mm-hmm. So that's an OG club. We've got Jamie yep. Marine, an OG club. So it's just awesome to hear that and those you know people that came from that and that they're still around and kicking and making sure that soccer is yeah. available for everybody. That's awesome. That's right. Yeah, Becky Sauerbrunn was, uh, I think she was a freshman when I was a senior, and we did the high school pool training out at Chaminade with beta running sessions. So there's an incredible generation of players that came through that club. Fantastic. Well, Megan Burke, Executive Director of the NWSL Players Association, thank you so much for joining us today and continue the fight. Uh, You too. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. It was Megan Burke. We're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, George Gansner, former FIFA and MLS referee, we're going to talk some laws of the game, and we might even take in phone calls. Stay tight. Now, back to the St. Louis City Soccer Report on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Now, laws of the game. About that intro, <laughs> to have an intro like that, who could we he all be as lucky? It. He should, loves it. We should all be as lucky as our next guest, George Gansner, to have a personalized intro for his segment on KMOX. Joining us now uh, with a little less than a half hour to go in our show with you until five. George, thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure. I love that intro. Uh, I, I know that you do. It's, I can't see ridiculous. how you wouldn't. So, uh, Jen, what is first up on the agenda for Mr. Gansner, our former? MLS and FIFA referee bringing his expertise to us today. So I was at the game last night and I froze my, my, I don't think my toes have gained full feeling. I, and I was prepared. I just wasn't really all the way prepared, but George, however, is in Orlando under, I know cold. Our kids say it's cold down there. It's not cold. It was like what? 60 degrees, George. Oh, we have him. Okay. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, there you go. So I know you're in a bit bit of warmer weather, but you were watching the game last night. And so there was a particular instance that I was asked about and I didn't have the answer for it. Um, It was somewhere in the uh, first half, possible handball in the penalty area as the ball was served. And so it's a two-part question. One, was it a handball? And two, all the players kind of jump, right? Their hands are in the air. They're asking for the call. And then the referees were conferring. I'd like to know, like, who are they conferring with? Well, how is this? How is this go down? Yeah, so situations like that, uh, and it, it happened also a couple of weeks ago, um, but this is another handball that we have, right? And so our potential for a handball. 
Um, they they have a system in MLS and, and really across the world called Video Assistant Referee. It's VAR. So one of the ways that you, the, the thing that works differently maybe than the NFL is so in the NFL, the coaches have three challenges or two challenges, I don't remember exactly, but they have to throw a flag on the field to, to challenge a particular call by the referees, and they can only do it so many times. In Major League Soccer and most soccer around the world, uh, it's automatically reviewed. Anything that would potentially go to a goal or be a penalty or be a red card will get reviewed by someone who's a video assistant referee. In Major League Soccer, those guys sit in Atlanta, a couple of guys who fly to Atlanta every weekend for each game. They're different for every game, so it's not a single set of people who watch all the games. They're really focused on that game, and they will automatically review anything like that. So in this case last night, you have a service from one of the St. Louis players, I don't remember who it was, that um, hits one of the, the San Jose players in his arm as he's kind of a little bit big, but and making yourself big is one of the things that, that can result in a handball if the ball hits your arm. Um, but in this particular case, he's completely looking the other way. So the referees decided on the field not to give the handball or not to give the penalty, and they'll automatically review that in Atlanta. So those guys, uh, they take a look at it. If it's a clear and obvious error from the referee, they'll have him go look or her go look at the, the video. And that's when they leave that video and come back and make the shape of a television and, uh, and then either give a penalty or not give a penalty or whatever. Um, the way you can tell if the referees are actually conferring is, based on your question is often the referee will put his hand, just so the players know, his hand to his ear. So he'll have his fingers to his ear or, you know, the assistant referee will step in front of the ball like, uh, like Walt did last night. Uh, Walt Heatherly was that assistant referee at that time. Um, step out in front of the ball and keep the players from playing, and the referee will have his hand to his ear so everybody knows we're looking at this on video right now. So last night they didn't give the penalty, and I think that was the right decision. George, I have a bunch of questions for you, um, and I plan to give them to you uh, nonstop for as long as you're here sure. <laughs> uh, about refereeing. You're going to be held accountable for anything and everything that uh, referees have ever done to wrong me over the, these next few minutes. So, uh, first of all, I've been trying 20 years, Nate. It doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. So, first of all, when you're talking about, you know, putting the hand up to the ear, we've seen the referees who wear essentially the, almost like they're in a boy band, right? They have the little, the little earpiece in and it connects to the microphone down next to their mouths. And the, the linesmen, the assistant referees on either side also have that along with the fourth official and the, and the center referee, how much experience when the ball is in play, how much uh, in your experience, how generally, how much uh, discussion is going on between the referees in a typical game during, you know, the course of the 90 minutes? So, Nate, that is an awesome question, and I'll tell you, because I got to wear one of those for quite a while, um, and it is constant. It is constant communication, literally constant. Um, Throughout the entire game, the referee is telling the assistant referees, hey, watch this. Hey, watch behind me. I got to go. You know, meaning that the play's going on. He, he, you know, we, we... But it's so fast, you have to go, and you're on a full sprint. Uh, and so you'll have your crew watching behind the play to make sure nothing's going silly behind the play and nobody does something that, that they shouldn't from a misconduct perspective. Um, but it is literally constant discussion of what's going on in the game. So then let's move on to uh, another question that I have because I think, and I think a lot of American fans are surprised by this, especially 
say we have St. Louis fans who are are watching professional soccer for the first time, or at least the first time they're paying close attention, as compared to what we're used to with how arguments happen, say, in Major League Baseball or in the NFL, the communication between even coaches or managers and uh, officials, let alone between players and officials, is highly regulated, and the officials tend to be quite sensitive to it. In soccer, in particular in Europe, but it translates to the American game as well, they're a lot more liberal with what players are allowed to do. It's not uncommon on one of these penalty appeals that you'll all of a sudden, when the ball goes out of play, see five or six players sprint to the referee and surround him to yell at him. Why do you think so much more of that is allowed in soccer? And and has MLS made any efforts? What is the standard around the league? What's the discussion? Have there been any efforts to try to curtail that? And why or why not? Yeah, so there actually are a lot of efforts. Um, it's not like rugby, right? In rugby, that, that if you come and yell at the referee at all, you get a 10-yard penalty, and they'll just keep moving you as long as you keep yelling. So uh, that appears much more respectful. I'm sure they're saying some things on the side that are just, you know, it's on the field. Um, in soccer, that does happen a lot. I, I don't know if it's a culture of the game or, or uh, really what happens, uh, you know, from that perspective, from a leadership perspective, why they don't shut it down. Uh, as referees, we're always we're taught how to manage that stuff, right? So I, I look at it as though it, it affects me positively in my my own career in dealing with people, because I've learned how to deal with five or six people coming screaming at me over a very particular incident. Um, and you know, you try to keep personal space. You try to you're, you're not really listening to them, uh, at least not when they're all yelling, uh, and and they think you might be, but there's an emotional outburst there as well. Video assistant referee has taken actually a lot of that away. Um, maybe not all the time, but quite a bit. I've seen an impact where they just don't come at the referee as often because they know that they're going to go to video assistant referee to review the play. So one way or another, it's either right or it's wrong, and they get it resolved that way now. So let's – oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Nate. So when you're dealing with your four kids, how often does that come up? <laughs> Every day. You should see them at the pool today. <laughs> they know not to even try it. Even all four of them, it's nothing. That's right. That's right. But I don't have a whistle. The lifeguards have the whistles. They're keeping people from running up the slides. <laughs> they don't respond to being carded either, uh, for the record. Um, no, no, they don't. <laughs> so, George, also, I think it's good to educate. There's people who know, you know, back when you're doing on the youth circuit, right, you're a part of a three-man team or a uh, two-woman team. So, uh, you know, anything in professional soccer, we've got a four-man team. We've got, you know, two assistants. We've got a, a head referee. And then we have the fourth official. Can you expand a bit on the fourth official's role? Because it is more than holding up, you know, substitution. Two people in Atlanta too now, right? The the video assistant referee and the assistant video assistant referee is responsible for offside decisions. But the fourth official is is actually a really important job. Uh, aside from the referee who has the whistle, it's probably the most important job. Uh, first and foremost, that person will go onto the field to replace the referee or one of the assistants if they were to get injured, and it does happen. Uh, and, and otherwise, uh, actually somebody, while we were watching the game last night, asked me the same question and says, is that person literally just there to get yelled at? Um, they do take a lot of abuse, uh, from, or at least getting yelled at quite a bit, but by the coaches, they sometimes become a bit of a battering ram from one coach or the other, depending on, on how the game's going. Um, but they're also really good at that and, and they learn and they study and they understand how to deal with different coaches and, um, they're also responsible for all the paperwork that happens in the entire game. So uh, any substitutions, any paper, uh, any of the, the administrative work that has to get done, and it has 
they are the official uh, official statistic, official everything that happens. The game report is from the referee, and that's how it happened. Well, George, we appreciate you joining us, and I uh, hope you'll stick around. We got a uh, 15 more minutes. We're with you until the uh, bottom or uh, top of the hour, I should say. George Ganser is joining us right now on the phone, and he will stay with us. For our next segment, if you want to join us on the phone, you can call in at 436-7900. That's 436-7900 if you have questions for George or for Jen or myself uh, talking a little bit about St. Louis City or about, as we've heard, the laws of the game. We'll be back with more St. Louis City Soccer Report after this on KMOX. Now, back to the St. Louis City Soccer Report on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. We continue with Laws of the Game on KMOX this evening. Just with you for a few more minutes alongside Jennifer Cease. Nate Gatter with you tonight for uh, another episode of St. Louis City Soccer Report. And we're joined by our continuing guest, George Ganser, former MLS and FIFA referee. George, uh, I wanted to ask you this, too, now that we're two home games in for St. Louis City. I think everybody knew that it would be a good home atmosphere for City. I don't think anybody knew it would be this good this soon. How much... Can an environment like that of 22,000-plus sold out every night and as loud as they have been, over the course of time, how much can that influence, if at all, referees, do you think? Yeah, so, um, I mean, obviously I'd like to say that it doesn't have an influence. I I got to do games in Mexico City, in Costa Rica, in Panama, uh, different parts of the world, right? Some of the biggest stadiums, uh, the Rose Bowl, New York Giants Stadium, other stuff. Um, I'd like to say that it doesn't impact you at all, to be honest. That's where your mindset is. Uh, it absolutely impact, impacts the players, no question. Uh, and, and it will impact the players even to get a little bit more excited and maybe go after the referee a little bit over a certain type of a call because the spectators are, or the fans are really having a go, right? So the players will take advantage of that and do the same thing because there's a double influence. Um, you know, does it really truly have an impact? I think – there are a lot of studies that have suggested that it does, but but from a mindset of a referee, it does not have an impact when you're at that level. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. There is some <laughs> of that. There is a, because even you yourself, I know you have you have opened several stadiums, right? And that is very exciting, and it's a, it's an electric atmosphere. And you even admitted to me um, that St. Louis City's opening was second to none, and that had to be electrifying, and it has to make an, a human impact. Even if it might not make a, a logical decision-based impact, it makes an impact in terms of mindset and, you know, electricity and, and where you are as a human being. Yeah, I, like, like I said last week, I got to talk to Ted. Um, actually, maybe it was two weeks ago. I got to talk to Ted after the game. Uh, Ted Uncle was the referee for our, our first game uh, in City Park, and uh, he, he said it was just amazing, really an unbelievable atmosphere. But you know, just to stay on topic here, if you if you look at his behavior, if you if you watch that game again, and you just watch his behavior and how calm he is throughout that game, uh, there were a lot of little games and little things being done by the players to try to influence the the game itself and the referee, and, and he didn't buy into any of it. I mean, you, I, I actually talked to Taylor Twelman about that after the game briefly. Uh, Ted stayed real calm. He didn't get engaged in a lot of that stuff that's going on, and that's normal in a game at that level. He used his experience just to stay focused on his job at hand, 
and, and make sure the game got played without any undue influence. Well, let's expand on the management a bit because, you know, that's the management of the, the center referee on the field. But there are man- there's management, the fourth. When it comes to, is it still the same as when you were refereeing that the senior AR, senior assistant referee, so linesman, right, in old terms, is on the player's side versus the other, the junior might be on the fan, the fan side, or is it different now? No, that's that's the same thing. Uh, so the more experienced referee is generally, gen- assistant referee is generally on the bench side, but it's not always the case. Sometimes there were plenty of games that I did where I was was way more experienced than the the other assistant referee, but I was on the other side of the field. And I don't know that there's any particular rhyme or reason. I've never really done a signing at that level, nor do I ever really want to. Um, but uh, you know, sometimes maybe they just expect that. I don't know. The spectators are going to be, uh, you know, worse on that side. I put the more experienced person. I don't know. Georgia, well, just one more before we uh, have to let you go and wrap things up here. Um, we talked a lot about the challenges of refereeing, and of course, there are many. It's a very serious profession that uh, requires a certain type of mindset, a certain type of skill set, and uh, and a very serious approach to the job. With all of that in mind, people might be saying, "Why would anyone sign up to be a referee?" So what was your favorite part of being a referee? What made you keep doing it? What, what made you fall in love with it and then stay in love with it for as long as you were? You know, I, that's another great question, Nate. I, I think um, there are a lot of people who look at referees, especially at the youth level, and think for them um, that there's some kind of a power trip. And um, I, I would, uh, is somebody maybe like that? Yeah, sure. But in general, I think that everybody does it because they just want to be a part of the game. Uh, they want to do the best that they can, and they want to want to do it at the highest level that they can. And that was always my interest. Uh, when I was 14, I, I figured out that what a FIFA referee was, and I thought, man, that's cool. You get to travel around the world and referee for 90 minutes and go see things, uh, which was a really uh, immature way to look at how it went. But, you know, you still got to do that. I mean, I got to go to some really great places and um, meet presidents of countries and uh, meet celebrities and, and, you know, you walk onto the field and somebody's going to flip the coin who you've seen on TV a lot, whether it's in a professional sport, like a basketball player, an NBA player, or a celebrity like a Will Ferrell or somebody like that. Um, that's not what drew me and kept me going, but that was a lot of fun, right? So you get to be around a lot of people and um, be a part of the game. And I think that's what really drives people at the youth level completely different right you're you're doing it because you want to give back george we gotta go Um, we gotta go yeah yeah. thank you for that thank you and joe orlando thanks to tyler rosen our producer my co-host nate gatter you've been listening to the st louis city soccer report on kmox now with the mlb app you can get baseball your way pick your favorite team your favorite players and get customized highlights stories and breaking news right on your home feed Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade used with permission.